Well, today is a dangerous time for many reasons. Rick spoke of a certain kind of danger that many Christians face on this day and on many days. The danger I'm talking about is not physical. It's much as a danger of the mind, which then results in a danger to the heart. Because it's Easter, and we're familiar with Easter, and we've been through Easter's, and we know the story, and we're not expecting to learn anything new today. Maybe a twist or a thought, but here we are. Perhaps you have Easter plans. Perhaps you're thinking of those. You sang songs. You heard Scripture read. Most of you probably agree with what was said. Most of you probably believe that. And before we know it, this focus on Easter will be done, and we will move on to other things. So the danger would be that we would accumulate one more Easter, or more specifically, one more time we come to the cross, whether it's in your personal reading, whether it's in a talk at church, whether it's in communion monthly at this church, or whether it's Easter, this is one more Easter time, and you get to say yes, and perhaps your emotions get to be intrigued, and you get to feel good, and that is fine. But, but what about tomorrow? What about the Easter Monday? If it's anything like mine, this day and the feelings that go with it quickly pass. In fact, they probably will pass before you get home for lunch today. What I'd like to offer you is something to grab hold of and take with you in the course of this week and the next week. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The phrase, which if we say it five more times, probably you all will learn it, all right? He is risen. That's close enough. We'll stop. But again, therein lies the problem. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's automatic. Why we're thinking, why we're looking somewhere else. He is risen. Yes, he is risen. Yes, I agree. How many agree? Yes. How many can check the box? Yes. Well, no, this statement, as common as it is to many of us, he is risen indeed. And what I'd like to do today is grab hold of the indeed with the exclamation point. Maybe, maybe, by looking at Scripture and by the work of the Holy Spirit, we can be re-grabbed ourselves. Well, you already suspected that we're looking at Easter in a broader context. We sang a Christmas carol. Um, it's a good one. Christmas carols, this is another talk. We also get very used to them, and we don't even know what the words say. So, maybe if we sing Christmas carols at Easter, you'll think of the words. Perhaps. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. That's Bethlehem one day, one evening, and yet we're also talking about Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified, where for 
The afternoon hours, there was darkness. There were no stars. There was no twinkling. There was no nothing except the presence of fear. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years. That's a big statement. That's a big statement if we're just looking at Craig. My hopes and fears from all of my years. But what about if we say that to all of us? What about that statement that says, your hopes, all of them, your fears, all of them, are meeting here tonight in Bethlehem? Now, in reality, this baby Jesus was born, made very small ripples, and for the next 30 years, Jesus grew up, and not much happened. What about the hopes and fears that met on that night? But like if we took time in the Old Testament, we would look at this statement, the hopes and fears are met in thee tonight. And we would say that's a whisper. It's a whisper. Hey, do you know your hopes, all of those? You know your fears? Something happened in Bethlehem tonight. And all of those are going to be addressed. Count on it. Just, you're going to have to wait for it, though. And Easter comes. And we could go back to this and we could say, okay, all my hopes and fears are addressed on the cross. All my hopes and fears then are addressed in the resurrection of Jesus. What about your hopes and fears? We have child hopes, childlike hopes. And uh, they hope they, they get a new toy, they hope it's sunny, they hope they can go play, they hope they have a friend, they hope mommy's nice, they hope they have candy, they, they hope that uh, they have all sorts of hopes that are just marvelous. They have fears too. Maybe sometimes they have a fear of mom or dad, maybe they have a fear of a dog, maybe they have a fear of riding bikes, maybe they have a fear of going to school, I don't know, but, but they live with hopes and fears. Moving up, the children, teenagers, they have hopes and fears, a lot of them the same. A little more specific, perhaps, but they also have a hope that they, they hope they're okay, they hope they're significant, they hope they're acceptable, they hope they matter, they hope someone likes them, they hope maybe someone will love them. As they grow older, they hope maybe they can get married, they hope they can have kids, they hope they can have a job, they hope they can have fame, they hope they can have a car, they hope they can have a... And now we move into the adult world, where all of these things we hope for we have, and now we just say, I hope I can have a better car, I hope I can have a better job, I hope I can have a better spouse, I hope I can have... <laughs> and it goes on. If we look at hope and fear to the extreme, I might say extreme fear, the edge, is when there's no hope. And maybe I would say the most powerful hope is when there is no fear. And just an invitation, when you read in the New Testament, especially when you read the new hope, that hope 
that God talks about, that's the hope with no fear necessary if you really understand that. But most of us live our lives somewhere in that middle where our hopes are mixed in with fears. I, I hope things go well, but they might not. I think this is, I think I have it together, but it, but it might not. Or this isn't working out. What am I, I don't know what to do. Maybe it will get better. Maybe I can do this. And so all of us are here with our hopes and our fears. And this is Sunday morning, and this is symbolic of the resurrection and happiness. But, but I know within this room, for some of you, that this is Friday night. This is the crucifixion. This is the darkness. This is the suffering. This is the hopelessness in this season of your life. Because of, of, of the past 10 years, because of the issues that you have going on, this is death all around you and darkness. Some of you, maybe it's Saturday. It's over. Hope's dashed. Now what are you going to do? You didn't get the job. The marriage is over. The kid has left. Now what are you going to do? And I would invite you back on this journey to the cross and bring your hopes and bring your fears. In fact, because we're dealing with God Almighty and God's Son, why don't we bring the hopes and fears of the world with us to the cross? Why don't we say, what about the thousands of children who are starving to death in the world with no hope? What about the abuse that goes on? What about the terror that goes on? What, what about the war and the death and the famine? What about all of those? Where, where's, where's the hope there? And we are invited to come to baby Jesus because over his name and over his birth is said, this is Emmanuel, God with us. He will save, but it will take a while. And now we get to come with our hopes and fears, and we get to come with a Jesus Christ who died and who rose again and who is living today. Please don't leave the cross without recognizing those hopes and fears and without making sure you're leaving the cross as God intended you when you leave the cross and go on to the resurrection of a new life. Mary and Joseph had hopes and fears. The hopes, they had a baby. They had a new baby. Hope and joy. The baby was born healthy. The baby was great. They took the baby in as they were required to do on the eighth day to get the baby circumcised. They took him into the temple and they met this man called Simeon who was waiting for them. He was waiting for this Messiah, this person who was going to come who was going to be the Messiah of Israel, and he was waiting for them. And they met with him, and he said something to them. He took Jesus, and he took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. It's okay for me to die, God. I have seen this with my own eyes. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And I probably don't need to say this, but 2,000 years ago it had to be said, probably not many of us in here are Hebrews, we're not Jews, we're not part of God's people, and this is our invitation. This is the baby promise that was given that says, hey, you people, you Craigs, and most of this people of the world, this is going to be 
bigger than just Israel as much as I love them. This was the invitation spoken, the benediction, the invocation spoken over the life of this baby. There is something that is going to change here. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. One would. What words were spoken? What hopes came up? They'd already talked with angels. But this only confirmed, all right, this is good, this is the real thing. And they marveled, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to call the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Mary, this child is going to call the question. This child is going to cause division. This child is going to expose what people think inside. This child is going to cause disagreement. And so this child, Jesus, did. But he had one more statement to Mary. He says, and a sword will pierce your own soul also. In the midst of great hope, there is this fear. There are swords out there. Even when you're involved in something as holy and mighty as the Son of God coming to earth, living on this earth, and healing, even when you're involved in something like that, there are swords out there that hurt. Because that's the nature of sin and the nature of dealing with sin. And so in the midst of the great hope, Mary also got to deal with a fear. Another example of, a, of a, a hope that is especially poignant at Easter time, James and John, two brothers, disciples of Jesus, they went up to him one day and says, Jesus, you know, when we get to the kingdom, we want to sit one of us on your right hand and the other on the left. In other words, the two most important seats we want, one on your right and one on your left. And Jesus says, you don't really know what you ask. Oh, we do. And he said, that is not for me to deal with now. And do you think James and John thought of that when they viewed from afar Jesus on the cross? And there was a man on his right, and there was a man on his left. Because Jesus had told them, you know, if you want to follow me, there will be great suffering and a great cost. And they said then, oh, we're willing. And they were willing, but we know they ran. Luke chapter 24, Jesus is talking to two of his followers. They don't know it's Jesus. This would be Sunday afternoon after the resurrection. These two followers of Jesus were walking back to their village, and they were in great sadness. Of course, Jesus had died two days earlier. And Jesus came up to them and said, what are you talking about? And they said, don't you know? And he said, tell me. And they said, well, listen, this is just what happened. There was this man, and, and he was great, and he did miracles, and he had great teaching. And we thought, we hoped that he would be the one. We got our hopes up. Maybe this is the Messiah. We bought into it. We started giving plans. We started thinking, this is great. I think it's here. Then he died. We had hoped he was the one, but I guess not. 
because he didn't act like I really expected him to. All of us come to everything in life, including Jesus, including the Word of God, with our own expectations, and we hold them there. They shape our thoughts. They shape our emotions. Jesus happened to be one who seems to be breaking our expectations frequently. But this is a story. Probably most of you agree this is a historical incident. Should anybody want, we could look at historical literary evidence and find a lot of support that there was a guy named Jesus that lived at this time and that he was killed by the Romans and there was great report he rose again. But probably don't need to do that with most of you. So here we have the story and we get to sing Jesus is risen, hallelujah, and we get to feel good. But we also then, like I said in the beginning, we also walk away and we forget. So... How, how can we enter into this story? Well, we can enter in in many ways. We could admit that um, some of us maybe would say, you know what, much of my life I would be part of the crowd that said crucify him. Much of my life I would be part of the crowd that would say I don't want anything to do with him. On the night before the day Jesus was crucified, they met for the Passover. And Jesus' 12 followers, his 12 disciples, met together and they celebrated the Passover service. And in that service, in Matthew 26, we read, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with Peter, with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. That is a party stopper. Whoa, wait a minute. And they were very sad and began to say to him one after another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. And they began to say, surely it's not me. Is it, Lord? There's an appropriate humility in having a question about yourself, you know? I'm not sure. Do I really believe this? Am I really safe from never doing this? It's not me. Is it, Lord? The evening continues, and Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. Then Jesus said, But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if I'll fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. All the other disciples said the same thing. It's not me. I sometimes have feelings like that. I wouldn't do that, God. I would never go that far. I'm not that kind of person. I don't think I ever would, and you could fill in the blank. And I say it with sincerity, but I also know myself enough that when I say, it's not me, inside of me there's something that also says, is it, Lord? 
And this is our invitation to involvement because it is me. It is me. It is even as a follower of Jesus now. Would I ever try to avoid Jesus? Would I ever run away from uh, a danger that I face because of Jesus? Yeah, I might. I don't trust myself. I don't think, but, but yeah. And even to go on, when you look at the whole cast of characters in the whole story, would you be the politician? Would you be the business manager, the business owner that would compromise on principles so you could like save your career like Pilate? Well, well that's you then. Would you be a rather sullen, angry soldier who was made to live for years away from his home and had to live in this God-forsaken little place called Palestine where the people are always rebelling and you just hated this place? Would, if, if you had an opportunity to whip someone and carry out your anger, do, do you ever lash someone with your tongue or something else? Not really because of them as much as because of your life, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been in so much fear that you have been tempted to disown and run away from everything that you believed? And initially, 11 of these disciples ran away from Jesus as fast as they could. They didn't plan on that, but it was them. So, so this changes everything about Easter. This isn't just the story to be reminded of now. This isn't just the reminder, Jesus died, and then that reminder that says, wow, what love, what love Jesus had for me. Now, that's true, but, but it goes beyond that. Yes, Jesus loved me. I know, I, uh, yes. Wow, what, what a marvelous sacrifice. He died in my stead. Now, I do not need to die for my sins. Yes, that's true, too. That's great. That's marvelous. But, but what if there's another element to this? Which means you fully embrace that Jesus died. You fully embraced he rose again. You fully embraced he died for your sins. You put your trust in him, and you truly now are a believer. Your sins are forgiven, and you're adopted as a child of God. Do we just remind ourselves that on Easter and at communion, and then we go about and try to live our lives the best we can? Maybe we left the cross too soon. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. All of us who are believers agreed with that statement, whether we knew that verse or not, or you're not a believer. You are ungodly. There is no hope. Christ loves you and died for you. His death made you his child. Yes, that's true. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, yes, I know, Christ died. That's Easter. The death of Jesus for me and all that that accomplished, and it is. But I'd like to leave you with a few, not necessarily puzzling, but just invitation thoughts that perhaps you do leave the death of Christ and the cross too soon. They're puzzling. I have a hard time getting my hands around it. I don't. 
Galatians 2.20. For through the law, I've died to the law so I might live for God. Why? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What I like to bring out in distinction here is he ends with, Jesus loves me, gave himself for me, died on the cross. Yes. But he says, I have been crucified. Craig, I was crucified with Christ. This is not just the story of a great deed that a man did for me with great consequences. It it includes that. But there's another element here. I was crucified. What does that mean? Whatever that means, something happened to me at some time, and I died, and I am forever different. And perhaps some of my struggles and your struggles, those of you who are believers, are, yeah, I know Jesus died for me. Okay, I know that. So I, I... And you're trying to live a life not crucified when God says you are. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. Since you died with Christ to the elemental forces of the world, and he continues on. And I I am not giving you context. Uh, I don't think I'm abusing context. I just want to bring this point. Since you died, once again, what happened when you died? Literally, really. You're alive. You're still here. So what happened? Did something happen to you that forever changed you? That seems to be what he's inviting us to. Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Since you have been raised with Christ. It would be natural for me to look up to where Jesus is and heavenly things if I have been raised up there. In some way, I have been raised. And again, the point I want to leave for you to consider is, I think that asking these questions which are given to us allows us to go further than the true and yet limited understanding that Jesus did die and Jesus does love me and Jesus rose again and because he paid my penalty, I don't have to pay and I am now a child of God. That's true. But that's just Jesus died. And yet Paul especially, but even Jesus hints at it, says, but you have to die too. And what does that involve? Me being a dead man who has been raised. Colossians 3 continues, for you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We just sang, Jesus bids me come and die so that I can truly live. What was involved 
in me dying with Christ? In what way do I not understand that? In what way do I not take advantage of that? In what way do I not have enough faith to believe that and end up treating Jesus almost as a marvelous model? I should be self-forgiving. I should be forgiving like Jesus. I should be willing to die for people. I should be willing to do all of these things. And if we're not careful, the whole death of Jesus turns out to be a new set of legalistic requirements that we can't fulfill. Rather than us coming and giving thanks for that which we understand and then start wrestling with, so what does that mean that I have died and I'm a brand new creation? What are the implications of that? And reading the book of Colossians would be a marvelous way to start and to wrestle with that. It's not me. Is it, Lord? It is me. In just a minute, we're going to finish. Uh, you're going to have a couple opportunities to sing. The first one, we're going back to Bethlehem. We're going to sing a Christmas song. You probably sang it at Christmas. I don't know. If you're like me, you probably didn't think of the words much. But I, I, in fact, I, I'm even considering starting a movement to change this to an Easter song and to save it from Christmas. Uh, you can have it at Christmas, but it puzzled me even as a, a child. I, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The angels were joyous, but they kind of understood things. Uh, Mary and Joseph were joyous because they had a baby born. The shepherds were joyous because they just had angels scare them, and, and they went and they saw they were joyous. The kings were joyous later because they found the king of the Jews that they could worship that they had traveled months to see. So joy to the world, the Lord has come. But again, like we mentioned, for the next 30 years, nothing happened. And I'm not trying to prevent this song from being sung at Christmas. Bring it. Sing it at Christmas. Sing it in the broader view we get to have, where we do get to look at this baby and we get to say, wow, look at this, this is God, this is marvelous, look what's going to happen. Stand back, everybody, this is going to be good. This changes everything Bethlehem does. But you just won't see much yet. You're going to have to wait for Golgotha, you're going to have to wait for the cross. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Jesus, as a baby, was the announced king of the Jews, but he wasn't reigning at that time. We can sing that because we know what's coming. We can sing, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. He doesn't reign in finality. He doesn't reign and has banished all sin. Not yet, but he does reign. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom has come. And those of us who are his children get to live fully in his kingdom and follow him as our king. So we do get to celebrate the Savior reigns. But if Bethlehem gives us whispers of what's coming, if Easter speaks loudly and proclaim what's happening, 
then we get to look forward in the reign of this King Jesus to a time when Jesus is going to shout and a time in which it is going to be yelled that Jesus has come and Jesus is reigning and he shows his reign over all sin and we were removed from that. But until then, what is the implications that I died with Christ? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. You and I have virtually no power to stop sins and sorrows. We slow them down, we try to prevent them, but they happen to us. In that frequently unknowable mixture of whose fault was this kind of mine but not really it happened to me but I could have and 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 that's where you and I live and you and I know that sin and sorrow are in store for us both kinds the sorrow and the sin that come from people sinning against me in a system in a culture and also the sorrow that's going to come because of my own sin so the invitation is They do not need to grow any longer. It's celebrating that. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. I love that phrase. That's how far. How far? Geographically, how far? Wherever the curse is gone, That's every corner of the world, every language, every culture, every person. That's how far the curse has gone. What can we do about all this evil happening? The blessings that come out of the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus flow as far as the curse is. They are there. Of course, the implications and the excitement is, in Romans 10, Paul says, hey, by the way, The people won't hear the good news unless someone goes. Matthew 28, Jesus said, this is going to happen. Would you like to be a part of one of the best things that's ever going to happen? And that is joy to the world that's going to go everywhere the curse is found. And currently God says, and I'm going to take it there through people like you. Follow the curse. Not exactly a comfortable thought. Far as the curse is found... Yesterday, what happened to you? Ten years ago, 60 years ago, 15 years ago, that far, the curse. What you did, you ruined your family, you ruined this opportunity, you you hurt this person, that, that far. As far as when you were hurt, as far as when you as an innocent child were hurt and abused, as far as when you were mistreated through your life, that's how far... The curse is gone, and this is how far the work of Jesus has gone. How far? Geographic circumstances, time. How far to the depth of the heart of Craig? That's how far the curse is gone, I know. And so I know that's how far the joy can go. Not the rehabilitated Craig, not the Craig who's improving, 
but the Craig who is a new creation now. The Craig, the old Craig died, and there's a new one now. I get to explore what is that like to live that way. Last year, I got a new grandson. He was adopted. You know what he's doing? He's exploring what it means to be adopted. He is exploring. He's testing. Sometimes he sins. What does he get to learn when he sins? He's in. He's adopted. Whoa. You mean even sin can draw me closer? Yes. If you explore, what does that mean? I have died. I'm going to ask the music team to come up and give you an opportunity, if you would like, to praise God and celebrate joy to the world. Let me pray. Father, may we do more than remember, recognize, and agree with the death and resurrection of Jesus. May we come back and may we ask you to show us, open our eyes to see who we are now that we have died and been raised with you, all for your name's sake and your glory's sake in all the world and all the nations. Amen.